Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends, feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, we introduce you to federal conservative leader Andrew Scheer. How close is the race? The latest from Ipsos. And a massive human trafficking ring has been busted. We've got the details. It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Joining us right now is Andrew Scheer, leader of the Conservatives, uh, the Conservative Party of Canada, and he is with us now. Andrew Scheer, thank you uh, so much for taking the time. We appreciate this. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, I, I, I hate to start uh, asking a, a leader uh, of another party about a quote of a prime minister, but I'm going to start there. When asked on the campaign trail yesterday, the prime minister was asked uh, any regrets over the last year, and he said, quote, everything I tried to do in the last four years has been focused on bringing the country together, yet we find ourselves now in, more, uh, in a more polarized and divisive election uh, than ever. All of this on the heels of uh, the Gerald Butts uh, tweet in which you're shaking the hand of a construction worker. A new video out today of you sitting down at the in the house in regard to the national anthem from Mark Garneau. How do you respond to that stuff? Well, I mean, like so many other things, Justin Trudeau accuses others of the things that he's very guilty of himself. He has been the most divisive uh, prime minister in generations, uh, pitting region against region and uh, insulting people. Uh, he, uh, he and his team uh, have called our members of parliament Neanderthals. He calls people un-Canadian for disagreeing with him. And his, uh, his war room, his campaign team, have been engaged in, uh, uh, in just about uh, all they've been focused on is mudslinging. Uh, and you rightly point out yesterday... Uh, just a couple of days ago, Gerald Butts, his best friend and uh, political advisor, uh, just somehow tried to link me shaking hands with a construction worker uh, with uh, people associated with racism. Uh, it's unbelievable. It's an insult to hardworking Canadians across the country. And it's the type of negativity that people see uh, the liberals for what they are. Your thoughts on the sitting down in the commons on the, on the national anthem. How do you explain that? Well, like at, at the time, the, you know, I had voted against a, a bill to change the national anthem, to change the lyrics of the anthem, and the, uh, the liberals uh, started using the national anthem at that moment as a, as a political uh, uh, act. And, uh, and you know, I, I won't take any lessons. I know Mark Garneau was pushing that out today. I won't take any lessons from Mark Garneau, who sat around the cabinet table while Justin Trudeau was uh, attacking the career of Mark Norman uh, while Justin Trudeau was uh, forcing veterans to go to court. Uh, uh, I won't take any lessons from Mark Carnell about respecting the men and women who uh, wore the uniform uh, at all. All we hear from the Prime Minister, uh, Mr. Shearer, is you're going to cut, 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 cut. Can you tell us what you're going to cut? Can you clarify all this for us? Yeah, we're going to cut corporate welfare. We're going to cut uh, foreign aid. We're going to stop the practice of, uh, of government departments blowing out hundreds of millions of dollars at the end of the fiscal year. We call it March Madness in Ottawa, where uh, if there's money left over in a government department, they run out and buy new chairs and phones and desks and, and computers, whether they need it or not, uh, just uh, just to spend money for the sake of spending money. Uh, we're also going to uh, uh, end the practice of high-priced outside consultants being brought in to do the work of public servants when they when they charge exorbitant rates. We have great public servants who have the experience and uh, capability to do that kind of work. It shouldn't be contracted out at uh, three or four times the price. We're going to maintain investments uh, and, and maintain the increases in investments to uh, healthcare, education, and social programs. Uh, so Canadians can know that uh, programs and services will be protected. But 
The choice is now between a Liberal and NDP coalition that will threaten those services with massive deficits and the tax hikes to go along with them, uh, or a Conservative majority government that will get back to balanced budgets and leave more money in the pockets of Canadians. Uh, climate change, obviously a pillar, a central pillar, seems to be in this election. Uh, opposition says you have no plan. What is your climate change plan? How important is this issue to you? Yeah, well, first of all, I mean, it's, it's ironic when Justin Trudeau's plan is such a failure that he even marched against himself in a climate change rally. Uh, their plan is, is doomed to fail. It's, uh, we're falling further and further behind. Unless he increases the carbon tax uh, fivefold, uh, it's not going to work. Uh, my plan is a real plan that focuses on technology, not taxes. It takes the climate change fight global, ensuring that we, uh, realizing that we can do more as a country to lower global emissions by exporting our clean technology and things like carbon capture. And it's going to bring in a popular tax credit for home renovations uh, for, for lowering emissions and lowering energy bills. So we have a real plan that gives us the best chance of actually hitting our targets. How? What is your reaction when people just seem to ignore that and, and, and just label your party as ignorant to all of this? Yeah, well, you know, there are always those that use uh issues to attack our party uh it's not because uh, they've uh they, they've done an uh, an honest analysis of it they're just trying to to to, to say things about our party. this is fa- liberals are famous for doing it. i've been very clear with canadians we're going to uh, protect health care and education but they still going uh, they still go around uh, spreading fear and misinformation and i believe the same is true on the environment uh, uh issue our plan has been proven this this type of approach has been proven to work where companies uh, are incentivized to invest in research and development to lower their emissions. Uh, that is what leads to new advancements, uh, to uh, methods of production that don't use as much en- energy and don't emit as much. We know for a fact that if we could get just a 100 or so of the coal-powered electrical plants in China to adopt Canadian carbon capture technology, we could we could take hundreds of megatons of CO2 out of the atmosphere. So I'm very proud of our plan. It is a real plan, and it and does give Canada the best chance uh, to reach our target. Uh, the Prime Minister has campaigned heavily in Ontario and mentioned Doug Ford, the name of our Ontario Premier, uh, continuously through the campaign, I think 14 uh, times during one stop here. What is your response when he says you're the same, what Ontario is experiencing with Ford is what Canada can expect with you? Well, I, think, I always think it's ironic that... Uh, Justin Trudeau spends more time talking about provincial politics. If you know, he, he should really consider running for the leader of the Liberal Party of Ontario if he's so focused on it. Uh, what people of Ontario understand is that when governments like Kathleen Wynne and Delta McGuinty are allowed to run massive deficits, get away with scandals and corruption, increase taxes and, and, and energy bills, it cr- creates real hardship for the people of Ontario. And they do not want that to continue at the federal level. They know that at the federal level, we have an opportunity to limit the damage to one term. And I'm very confident that they're going to see that choice between an NDP Liberal coalition that's going to run massive deficits and increase taxes to pay for it and a Conservative majority government that will get back to balanced budgets, keep costs low, make life more affordable, and help Canadians get ahead. All right, last question. Uh, you're traveling through this area in Essex uh, earlier on and, and made an announcement in regard to uh, legislation around voting, or sorry, violating ethic laws and such, obviously on the heels of the SNC-Lavalin, Jody Wilson-Raybould scandal. Explain that to us. Uh, well, uh, what Canadian saw during the SNC-Lavalin scandal was a prime minister that was abusing the power of his office, interfering in a criminal court case, and then using his power to shut down investigations and inquiries. Uh, that, that's unacceptable. He was found guilty twice 
of breaking ethics laws. And a lot of Canes expected that there might be some kind of consequence for that. Uh, in reality, the, the law does not provide for one. So I've I made the announcement today that there will be fines of up to $20,000 for politicians who violate these laws. And we're going to prevent the, uh, prevent the prime minister or any official from hiding behind cabinet confidences uh, to prevent criminal investigations. So we're going to make it easier for the RCMP to get information when they are conducting their investigations. We know that Justin Trudeau is refusing to cooperate with the RCMP. Uh, we're going to change the law so that the RCMP have the tools they need to get to the bottoms of these types of scandals. All right, sorry, Andrew, this is the last question. What do you want Canadians to know about you who feel they don't know you? I am dedicated to this country, and I have grown up in a family that has had to make uh, some of the ty- same types of difficult decisions that other middle-class families have. Uh, my parents often sat around the dinner table making choices, uh, and uh, and I want to make sure, as Prime Minister, I will make sure that life gets more affordable, that Canadians will be able to reach their goals and aspirations. Andrew Shear has been with us, leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. Andrew, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you very much. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. A new Ipsos poll says that the Conservatives are most likely to keep their promises, but voters are still very cynical on all of this. Is understandable, I guess. Uh, let's bring in from Ipsos, Sean Simpson. He is with us now. Sean, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. No problem at all. So here we are, and, and you, Ipsos is doing these polls pretty much on a daily basis for Global. Uh, this speaks to character. Why is this question important? Well, the question is important because there has not been, uh, I think, a defining issue of the campaign. Uh, you know, heading into the campaign, we thought it would be, you know, carbon tax. Um, and even though climate change is a number two issue, um, it, it, it hasn't been fought on, on a carbon tax, at, you know, like free trade was in 1988, for example. So in the absence of a defining issue, then it turns to be about the leaders and who you trust most. And what does the poll tell us? Well, the poll tells us that uh, when it comes to keeping campaign promises, uh, three in 10 Canadians think that uh, the Conservatives would do the best job of that. Uh, so they're in the lead. They're a couple points ahead of the NDP and, and the Liberals with the other parties further behind. Now, three in 10 is not a ringing endorsement. No. Um, and, and when we ask people, uh, who, do you, who do you trust most? Three in 10 Canadians say, none of them. Hmm. So um, how much of this is related to uh, those that may be disillusioned that the prime minister wasn't perhaps who they thought he would be or the scandals in relation to the scandals that have that have occurred over the last uh, little while? Yeah, I think uh, SNC Lavalin in particular had a, a significant impact on on people's opinions of uh, of uh, Justin Trudeau. You know, the the India thing last year. You know, when he was prancing around in various costumes, mm-hmm. uh, planted a seed in people's mind that oh, maybe you know he doesn't have the best judgment. And then we have SNC Lavalin, and then we have uh, brownface, blackface, and people are going, "Wow, you know, he didn't really live up to my expectations." So. The, the, the trouble is, in people's minds, and what makes this a very interesting campaign, is that they want to punish the prime minister, but they don't know where to go. That is why we are seeing uh, the resurgence of the NDP, is it not? 
Oh, the NDP, uh, yeah, outside of Quebec and and the bloc in inside of Quebec. The bloc is now at thirty percent support in, uh, in in Quebec, and the NDP up five points since last week. Uh, as people are looking at the two front running horses and saying, "Well, I, I guess I trust the Conservatives a little bit more than the than the Liberals, but um, it's still not a lot." And so maybe it's time to look at some of some of the other parties, in particular Jagmeet Singh or or the bloc in Quebec. Surprise considering, um, uh, you know, even getting back to the Conservatives, uh, well, I guess not many know much about Jagmeet Singh or Andrew Scheer when you think about it. Yeah, and, and I think that's uh, that's one of the reasons why Jagmeet Singh was able to impress in the uh, in the debate, because I think expectations were fairly low. It's not about who wins or loses or who gets a knockout punch or says the most clever line. It's about how do they perform uh, vis-a-vis expectations. Uh, and expectations of the Prime Minister, I think, were fairly high, and he didn't, he didn't live up to them, and that's why he's down. Expectations for Jagmeet Singh, who... You know, the campaign was kind of on, on life support, down at 15% of the of the support nationally. Um, he performed well, and now we see a jump. I don't know if it's going to continue that way because NDP support is softer, less likely to show up to vote, less likely to say that they're committed to voting NDP, but he's certainly got momentum. Uh, it's fascinating when you break down all of these various questions, and I've, I've, I've got a list of some of them that you, you've done over the, mm-hmm. over the past uh, a few days leading up to all of this, and over and above who, who you think is in the lead or who you think will make the, the best prime minister. Uh, make, making things more affordable was one of the questions. Uh, spending taxpayers' money wisely. Uh, who can you trust? Tackling Canada's mm-hmm. deficit. Uh, uh, who you, uh, who you would, would like to have a coffee or a beer with? <laughs> when people are going going into the voting booth, which one of these are they thinking about? Yeah, well, I think um, for a lot of people, it's pocketbook issues, um, which are the third, fourth, and fifth most important issues of the uh, of the campaign: uh, affordability, taxes, and economy, respectively. Um, and so, the person who who they feel will make life more affordable and things less expensive for them uh, might get their vote. And the Conservatives have the advantage uh, on that issue. Interestingly, in 2015, the Prime Minister, uh, Justin Trudeau, had a significant advantage on almost every metric that you're looking at, and it is now evaporated. Uh, He's got a slight lead on foreign policy, but that's pretty well it. Uh, It's interesting. There was uh, an article, I believe it was in the National Post uh, today, in which uh, on the uh, campaign trail yesterday, somebody asked Trudeau uh, uh, to go back over the last sort of year and and, and perhaps any regrets. And he said he he was uh, his inability to keep the country together. He thought that one of his strongest tasks and I'm paraphrasing for him, I'm not using his words, said that he, you know, he was hoping to to provide more unity. What about the negativity aspect of this campaign and the fact that last last campaign, it was there was a lot of sunny ways. This, it seems Mm -hmm. to be a, a little bit more negative. Well, and that's desperation, right? Um, it, it's amazing what uh, what people will say uh, when they feel power slipping away. Um, and, and I'm not saying that, that the negativity is because of the liberals. I mean, everybody's doing it, the conservatives, the, the NDP, sure. etc. So I, I'm not placing blame, but it's just the reality of the situation. Um, and I think, you know, that you mentioned earlier, and it's one of my favorite questions, who you want to have a beer or coffee with? Um, you know, Jagmeet Singh slightly leads the other leaders, so yep. people maybe like him more than the others. But again, the biggest response was none of them. Uh, there is just this sense of apathy that we that we have a trust deficit among our political leaders, and and Canadians aren't thrilled with any of the options that they have to choose from. Um, in a in a normal campaign, that would mean that people likely stay home and voter turnout is lower. But in such a close race that we have here between the Liberals and the Conservatives, uh, a likely minority situation that may 
motivate more people to go out? And we see that advanced poll has been up. It's interesting, though, in that question about who you'd like to meet with and chat over coffee or beer, 22% said Sing, uh, 20% said Trudeau, 14% said Sheer. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> run through those with me. Yeah, yeah you know, poor Andrew Sheer, that this probably, you know, kind of hurts the ego a little bit. But for conservative we, voters... We trust him, we believe his provinces, but we don't want sure. to necessarily hang nah. around with him. <laughs> Well, so you can, yeah, exactly. Progressive voters are looking for something different. Yeah. They're looking for hope. Uh, conservative voters are looking for competence. And that's what they felt they got out of Stephen Harper. He wasn't charismatic. He wasn't warm and friendly and, yeah. and optimistic. Well, people used to make fun about that. Yeah, ex- yeah, he shook his son's hand, you know, going to school. <laughs> you know, and, and he wasn't 18. He was like six. Yeah. Um, but but for conservatives, they just they want competence. So you don't have to be, you know, the 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 the, the most charismatic or, or even friendly person. But if if they're going to lower taxes and, and be stewards of the economy and responsible with taxpayers' money, then that's good enough. Uh, we used to say, or, or we, even at the beginning of this uh, this campaign, the incumbent always has the advantage. People will always trust the devil they know rather than the devil they don't know. Is that playing out here? Uh, not really. Uh, it's very uh, unique to have um, a one-term prime minister you know, fighting for his office um, as much as we have here. Inertia generally suggests that you, you can usually get two terms. And the same thing happens south of the border um, with the U.S. president. So the fact that um, the liberal chances of being reelected are looking dubious um, uh, is, 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 is really unique and, and a real concern for the liberals. I think they have to be really upset with what's been happening. And why is it we always will trust the incumbent the second time? And is usually this centered around policy issues or personality issues? Because if you look back on policy, there's nothing really that uh, Trudeau has done. It's more shooting off his own own toe and, and, and personality issues or, or, or missteps that he has made. Yeah, and I think it's just a, a case of, um, uh, of missed expectations. Again, expectations were so high for Justin Trudeau. I mean, his approval rating uh, in in his honeymoon was like sixty six percent. That is an unbelievably and I mean, high that, approval that, rating. That must have shot up some red flags when the honeymoon period lasted so long. Because I remember way back when everybody was saying, "My goodness, I can't believe how these numbers have, have stayed so high for such a long period of time." Yeah, and then and then we figured out, or at least some people did anyway, that the emperor is not wearing any clothing, right? Um, you know, the, those underlying issues started to to, to creep up, and um, you know now he finds himself in a position where he didn't meet expectations, and Canadians are looking at their alternatives. I don't know if they found one yet, but they're looking for one. Hmm. Kicking a lot of tires. Uh, what are you polling as you head into the election? I mean, there's uh, we're in the we're, we're in the home stretch here. What's left to know? What's left to know is who is going to show up and vote. Everything else at this uh, point is is nearly inconsequential. Uh, we're looking at whether people want a majority, a minority, and how that impacts their decision to go out and actually vote on Election Day, uh, because turnout is absolutely key. Talking about minorities, uh, there was some chatter of that uh, a few days ago. That seems to have subsided in regard to uh, do we want a majority, do we not? Where, where, where does that leave uh, the actual uh, campaign itself? Because, I mean, if you've got workers behind you, you want to keep pushing right across the finish line. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're 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 going to be releasing some data on that on on Friday, so I'm happy to talk to you <laughs> more then. But sure. what we're what we're seeing is that it's reflected in the the message coming from the leaders. You know, you've got Andrew Shear who's saying I I I'm going to win a majority. Um, you've got uh, the, uh, Justin Trudeau saying if you want to prevent that majority, I'm your only option. And Jagmeet Singh is saying, hey, a lot of people out there want a minority, and I'm the one that's going to you know vote for me helps to ensure that that's the case. And it makes me kingmaker too. That's a you know ulterior motive for him. <laughs> Green, any influence here at this point in the last stretch? Not really. Um, you know they're they're down to seven eight percent support. Uh, the, I think people have uh, realized that um, uh, you know they're a bit of a one trick pony, um, and uh, off of uh, Vancouver Island, they're not going to have a, a ton of impact. And any impact they do have is simply going to split the progressive vote and allow the conservatives to win seats that they otherwise wouldn't wouldn't win. Sean Simpson has been with us from Ipsos busy right through to the election. Sean, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. My pleasure. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, interesting uh, 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 column in the National Post today. Sorry, I got 1,200 things in front of me here. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about this. And uh, it, it was about the tone. We spoke on this uh, on the Alex Pearson Show last night on 640 and, and across the global network in Ontario. And, and, and he was asked about regrets in the campaign. And anything that he regrets in the past year of his of his term as prime minister, and he said he was hoping to bring and I'm paraphrasing here, uh, he was hoping to bring the country uh, more together. He was hoping to provide more unity. Instead, uh, he's surprised at the uh, at the divisiveness, at, uh, uh, not only of the campaign, but how the world has become politically in the last little while, and how uh, he has. Uh, I guess failed to unite Canadians the way that he had hoped for. Uh, we're going to talk about talk about that and uh, various other topics with our next guest. Uh, Ellie Abwam is with us, principal at Earns Cliff Strategic, and is on the line with us now. Ellie, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Okay. Uh, in regard to this article that's in the National Post, uh, your thoughts on the divisiveness of not only the campaign but I guess the last couple of years. Uh, well, I guess it's uh, it's been a nasty campaign uh, and a divisive campaign on a variety of levels. Um, but the country has become increasingly polarized over the last few years, uh, mirroring, not to the same extent, the polarization in the U.S. and in Britain. Um, there is increasingly less interest in consensual politics and more interest in conflictual politics. Um, and uh, that leads to uh, negative campaigns, uh, campaigns rather uh, not based on positive values or positive images, but more based on negative ones. So rather than pitches for why you should vote for a particular candidate, the pitches tend to be why you should not vote for another candidate. It also seems, too, that uh, that everything is extremes, every issue. You're either on this side or that side of an issue. There's no center. There's no common ground. Uh, there, there's no debate in the center. Uh, it seems that we're more, even political parties seem to be catering more to the extreme than they do to the mainstream or middle class, which they talk so much about. Well, I... I'm not sure that I'd, I'd use the word extreme, I'd, but, I mean, you're on to a, a very key point. Political parties try to, to develop what they call wedge issues 
issues where they are on one side of an issue um, and their opponents are on another side of, side of it, so that you force a choice uh, between parties depending on how you feel about that issue. The classic was the 1988 free trade election, where Mr. Mulroney forced the wedge around supporting free trade, and even though he got less than 40% of the vote, he still won a majority government um, uh, because he forced people to choose uh, on on issues. Um, and elections are not won on people agreeing because it's hard to make a choice uh, if everybody is saying the same thing. Uh, we've actually had that happen to us this election campaign. Uh, all of the parties seized on the cost of living and affordability um, as an important issue, one that was being expressed in polling. So they all rolled out platforms and announcements uh, around affordability and tax giveaways. And it got to the point where no one could sort out who was promising what anymore. Everybody was promising large-scale tax relief and and uh, and contributions or subsidies to daily living, and by the end of it, it was just noise. It wasn't policy differentiation. Um, so all the parties moved off into areas where there was clear difference. So, for instance, in Quebec, the Bloc Québécois tried to force a debate around Bill 21, the uh, religious symbols debate, um, because they're on one side and the other parties are on the other. Uh, as you know, there's a significant cleavage between the conservatives and the liberals on climate change. Mm-hmm. Uh, most elections are actually fought this way. Uh, when Trudeau was asked, and, and I'm, I'm again referring to this article in the National Post, uh, was, was asked about regrets looking over the past uh, four years. He says, quote, everything I tried to do in the last four years has become focused on bringing the country together. Yet we find ourselves now in a more polarized, uh, more divisive election even than the one, even than uh, the 2015 one, end of quote. Uh, is he partially responsible for that? Uh, I think that they're all partially responsible yeah. for it. Um, uh, if, if you define politics, uh, you know, to follow your point, as not, not achieving consensus, um, but achieving difference, <clears throat> this is kind of what happens. But look, a lot of it has been forced on the prime minister, Um he doesn't control events and didn't over the last four years. Um, and there were a number of issues that arose that were, in fact, inherently divisive. Um, but has he uh, uh, spent all of his time on trying to find consensus and trying to find middle ground? Uh, no. Um, uh, he's a politician like other politicians, um, and he is trying to uh, make the best case for him uh, versus others, and you can't make the case of him versus others without uh, denigrating others or showing what the contrast is with others. Right. Uh, it just seemed at the beginning of the term, beginning of his term, that his strength obviously was his brand. The strength was uh, bringing people together, uh, sunny ways. It was a it was a positive vibe, and and we were going to try to work things out. But then it seemed as if he tried to promise too many things to too many people. You know, I remember his his response to Truth and Reconciliation, in which he was going to solve all of it or or try to address all of it. Or and and you know, even then is a that is a monumental task. But it seems as if he's he's attempted to sit on the fence and and keep both sides happy and really not and and just annoying everyone else. Um, is that accurate? Unable to make the call. 
Uh, I don't know if that's accurate. He made he made the call in a number of areas, um, uh, which hasn't proved to be terribly popular, like buying the TMX pipeline, for instance. Um, uh, he made the but call. then yet failing to actually get her done or or keep it moving forward. Well, their shovels are in the ground. They're digging holes now for it. Um, I I don't know quite what you mean. And the and, and the obstacles were the courts. They weren't. Uh, uh, you know, it wasn't politics. But but aside from that one, I mean, the the issue for me is whether a, a, any leader in a modern industrialized society um, has got a chance at finding the center or a consensual center um, uh, to govern policy. It, it is becoming very difficult in a globalized world, particularly mm. with the populist strains that are rearing everywhere. Um, uh, it we're not in a mood collectively, globally, uh, to find middle ground. Um, and, you know, Mr. Trump has created uh, one sort of atmosphere. Uh, in Britain, they've got another problem that's similar. There, there are populist governments all through Eastern Europe. Um, look, there's a... The, the, the politics is being differently, is being done differently. The problems are really complex. Um, there is uh, uh, a lack of economic growth throughout the world, which is creating increasing gaps between wealthy and, and poor. Uh, there's lots of tensions. Um, and I think that, that national political leaders um, often find uh, issues that are not easy to resolve or, in fact, force them to choose in a way that creates significant uh, problems for themselves um, uh, as, as they try to choose on principle or, or impact, uh, they're often offside with what people want. Advanced polls uh, just finished up over the Thanksgiving weekend. A great turnout, record turnout for an advanced poll. Does this say anything about the campaign, or is this all about convenience? I think it's mostly about convenience, frankly. Um, uh, we've had increasing turnout in the last three or four elections, actually. I think Election Canada has been working very hard uh, to make um, uh, early voting uh, more convenient and more accessible. So uh, I'm not sure I read anything into it. Um, I think all the parties are satisfied with how they performed and pulling out the vote of, of their supporters. Um, I'm not sure that I would um, read more into that. The, the people who tend to vote early are people who've made up their minds. Uh, if you're cross-pressured, there's no reason for you to vote last week. You probably wait till the last day. Um, and since this will be ultimately decided by the people who are either uncommitted or loosely committed or changing their minds, almost by definition, that's going to happen on election day uh, or in people's minds the day before election day. I think the people voting in advance polls uh, are pretty well decided voters. Uh, we've pretty much seen a neck-and-neck neck race uh, through the, uh, this campaign between the Conservatives and the Liberals. Uh, at the beginning of the campaign, it was it was interesting to watch the third and fourth place uh, third and fourth place race with the Greens and the NDP. We've now seen uh, the NDP uh, pull away uh, from the Greens, uh, and and not a lot of growth with the two front runners. Talk about the NDP surge and what that means going into this election. Well, we won't know for a while. Um... I think the uh, there's clearly been a significant improvement in their overall popularity. Um, they've gone from single digits last year to 
16, 17, 18% now. That's a significant move. Um, it's still, we have to understand, below um, uh, the, the popular vote that the NDP's got uh, when uh, they did far better uh, than they did last time. Um, they have a ways to go yet. Um, and, you know, their their results appear to be somewhat mixed, although, again, we're just talking pollings. So I don't know what the reality is. Mm. But uh, it, it feels like they're getting squeezed in Quebec, um, but they are doing better in British Columbia and in parts of Ontario. Um, I think it's, it's clear they're going to have a significant impact uh, on the final vote, and they are, without doubt, eating into liberal support in areas the Liberals need to win in order to make gains. Whether and that's going to translate into wins for the NDP, or conversely, wins for the BQ and the Conservatives, uh, is, the, is the fundamental question. And are any gains that the NDP appears to be making going to offset the losses everyone's predicting in Quebec? Well, I don't know the answer. I yeah. mean, that, that, that's, so there's two impacts, or two questions. Do the NDP net out more, uh, or do they stay even? And maybe more important for final outcome, how much do they um, uh, box in the Liberals uh, in in significant battlegrounds and end up electing Conservatives? And I, I don't know the answer to that either. How do you explain the leader, Jagmeet Singh's rise in the last uh, couple of weeks? Obviously, fared well uh, in the debates and such, but at the beginning of this campaign, nobody seemed to know who he was. And again, some were challenging whether the Green uh, was sucking the oxygen out of the room. How do you explain his, his latest rise? Uh, I, I think, you know, there's, a, there's an irony in the, that in 2015... Um, Justin Trudeau played that role, right? A, a fresh politician mm, yep. who looked like he was going to change the way politics were being done. Um, he's very fluid, uh, communicates very well, um, and seems very authentic. And then he had, you know, with he had a couple lucky breaks where he got confronted by people who were concerned about uh, uh, his turban or his color, uh, and he handled them with dignity. Mm. Um, so I think people were, were impressed with his his uh, personal maturity um, and the way he expressed uh, diversity in Canada. Um, and you know, the reality he's not one of the two front runners, right? So if you don't like the Liberals and Conservatives, you don't have many options. And he appeared to be, uh, and appears to be, a different kind of option. Whether that will last through Monday uh, is an open question. I don't know the answer. Are we going to ride right into the election the way we are now? Uh, is there another shoe to drop? Is there something big to happen? Uh, you know, I'm not... Uh, uh, I, I don't know the answer. Let, let me say it this way. Um, we are starting to get the polls after the long weekend. Mm -hmm. um, we've had two significant polls thus far that have not shown much movement. Yeah, Still showing a relatively even race. Uh, we're running out of time for significant momentum to build, uh, at least publicly. Whether the strategic vote calls will change votes privately is an open question. Mm -hmm. um, uh, strategic voting calls have worked on occasion. Um, it's, it's a question of whether progressive voters fear a conservative government enough to rally behind liberals or not. And I don't know how to I don't know how to gauge that. That's not a momentum question. That's an individual choice question. Uh, 
Um, I don't think there's any indication that the NDP has continued to grow. Uh, it feels like it's topped out. Um, the wild card is the BQ in Quebec, mm. which does seem to be continuing to grow, and may in fact uh, be the balance, hold the balance of power. Um, it, it, it is possible that the combination of the Conservatives and the BQ will be enough uh, to take them over 170. Hmm. Uh, neck and neck, as I mentioned, with the front runners. Do people poll differently than they vote? Do people poll differently than they vote? You know, I'm thinking uh, back. To, I'm thinking back to the U.S. election when nobody predicted that Donald Trump would win, would win, and then boom, and he came. Do yeah, people poll uh, differently than they vote? It's it's look, it's happened uh, over time uh, that that's the case. Uh, there there are problems in modern polling. Uh, because of the difficulty of getting a hold of people. Is it is it the polling, though, or is well, it people changing their minds or not willing to admit something? Well, it's, it's two or three things. It's the polling. It's the um, recent tendency in some close elections for people literally to not be able to make up their minds until the final day. In fact, there's significant evidence that a number of people actually make up their mind in the voting booth mm-hmm. holding a pencil. And then there's a third thing um, that happens and has happened uh, more rarely than the others, but where people are unwilling to express what they seem to think is a socially unacceptable or socially difficult vote. And people withhold um, telling others they're going to do that. I think there was a lot of that in the U.S. election, uh, Mr. Trump's election, where people understood in some places that it was not a popular thing to say you're voting for Mr. Trump, so they didn't tell pollsters that. Ellie Album has been with us, principal at Ernst Cliff Strategic, talking about the last few days of the campaign as we head into the October 21st election. Thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Take care. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, this is a case that, a uh, story that is just breaking. Uh, so a lot of it is fluid. We're trying to get as much information on this as we can. But uh, it appears that more than 300 charges have been laid in connection with the human trafficking and organized crime investigation. Uh, the investigation spanned across Ontario and Quebec. To talk more about all of this, crime specialist, security expert, and former Toronto police officer Ross McLean is with us now. Ross, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Good to be with you, Scott. This is a bizarre case that uh, it seemed to break today, and I'm not sure too many people uh, paid attention to it until we saw the size of this. What can you tell us about this? Well, I mean, it is a significant uh, uh, break in human trafficking with the number of arrests. And and where I think it's the most significant, Scott, is it demonstrates um, exactly what is going on with human trafficking across this country. And this is going to be but one one segment of it that was busted today. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of this going on, and uh, I think we really, as a society and as a country, and our, um, our legislature should be getting laws and our courts should be dealing with this a lot stronger to prevent this sort of carnage that's going on for these women. What can you tell us about this case? What do we know? Well, we do know that there was an organized group. The police have been looking at them for at least uh, at least a year to do this. And, Scott, that shows you how much work the police put in to do this, to make these arrests. And this went across the country for doing it. Very expensive, uh, time-consuming uh, uh, charges for these people. And uh, let's hope that somehow the justice comes up and they serve something equivalent to what society has invested in, in finding them. But 
what you have is a group of uh, uh, people operating out of Quebec, uh, coercing women into uh, working in sex trafficking, and then taking them and sharing them and moving them about out of Quebec into Ontario and then further west, and covering their tracks utilizing uh, prepaid gas and debit cards and hotel rooms so there isn't tracking, and uh, a few women, two women in particular, trying to escape you know, reached out to York Police last year, and this is what started the investigation. So this started with just a simple complaint, and then it, it expanded from there. Yeah, but let's look at this. Something I want to tell you uh, about this, and you never see this necessarily in the media because the media tries to protect people, and the police try to protect people, and the officer who was doing the media uh, talk on this today from York Reason, uh, Region was very circumspect in his language, but... Let me tell you, what goes on with these women is absolutely nothing like Pretty Woman, the movie. The the things that these girls go through when they are coerced, and I've sat through some trials doing security uh, around a couple of very, very bad pimps back in the day. And uh, what these guys do, Scott, is they look for vulnerable women, women who uh, sometimes are naive, they don't have uh, anybody else around them to protect them, perhaps not a father, or perhaps they're too busy, or they've run away, and they're doing things like this, and uh, these guys target these women specifically. They'll take them, they'll charm them for a little bit, and then, Scott, they will do things like take them, and I don't mean to be graphic other than uh, for making the point here. They'll take the girls, they'll rape them, they'll rape them in all sorts of ways, they'll gang rape them. They'll take them, they'll put them in trunks of cars and drive them around and let them out to come in to have dinner. And then they'll start treating them nice and then buying them some clothes. Then they'll go back to raping them again. Hmm. And these girls end up in a Stockholm Syndrome sort of thing where they're all they know is this going on. They're totally controlled. They're isolated. They're taken out of province. These people put complete controls on the girls. And, and there's nothing... Uh, that is consensual about it, or girls who are active in wanting to do this sort of thing with groups like this. So what they do to these women is horrific, and it needs to be, uh, I think, dealt with strongly by our courts. Who are these women? Where do they come from? They they will get women. uh, Some of the pimps will hang out at bus and train stations, at malls. They'll, They'll look for girls who are on their own and sort of isolated. They'll look to find them in clubs, and they also use other women to go and recruit and find women like this who may be interested. And, you know, they may sell you a bit of uh, a bit of goods about how you can make some money or do something like this or whatever, but that ends once you're in their clutches. Once you're in their clutches, they exercise total and complete control over everything. They, they, these guys in particular were, were apparently producing fake IDs for the girls, so they didn't even have their name anymore. They didn't have an address. They probably didn't even know what city they were operating in. And they're under total control of these pimps uh, and treating them uh, worse than the worst that you can imagine. Are these these women already in Canada or were these women brought here illegally? Well, the the police uh, did not mention. I didn't hear at least what I was able to listen as to where where these uh, women were coming from. But there's enough women we have out on the streets. Uh, that are suffering and, and have have problems and and let me let me tell you some of the women who suffer at the hands of these pimps uh, after what they go through they come out uh, incapacitated physically to live a normal life yeah. in many cases let alone hmm. let alone 
the mental damage that you can just imagine what must be done to you uh, when you're forced to go through this. You're forced to do it through beatings, through violence, and I'm sure that will come out uh, in the court case. How do they recruit? How does that process work? Who Who do they prey on? Well, as I said, I remember the one case that I sat in on. It was a girl who ran away from home, from uh, up north, and they hung out at the bus station in Toronto, of all places. I mean, it sounds like, I mean, this is the standard way of doing it. They look, they see a girl by herself, doesn't have anything. Hey, do you want lunch? You're here? Oh, come on over. Let's have lunch. Let's tell me about you. And then they'll ask questions, and they'll find out that, in fact, they don't have any family necessarily that cares for them or no one else around them. Uh, No one else cares for them. And then they put them through the meat grinder to turn them into uh, their their little money-making machines for this. What do we know about uh, those arrested or the gangs involved? Well, we just know the names. You look at the names, there's apparently three brothers that are involved in this, and and the one was the kingpin of it. Uh, I don't know what their status is. I I noticed that the one guy they have down as the kingpin was arrested before uh, for doing this. Uh, and I haven't been able to find much on the others. You know, it used to be the bikers were very much and, and still are involved in doing a lot of this human trafficking. But as the uh, uh, the police officer said today, he said what they're also seeing a lot of is uh, younger and younger guys pimping out younger and younger girls. So you might have uh, one guy that gets one or two girls to work with him to go around doing this, using the girls uh, for sex, for making money. So... Uh, and I've talked to parents before uh, about this. I know that they're looking for information on how to protect your children. Like if you've got young girls yeah. uh, these days, Scott, they need to be educated about looking out for this because they're really vulnerable. They don't know what they're coming up against. They mm-hmm. think it's just somebody nice who's treating them well. And before they know it, uh, this happens to them. Are these small or large organizations that are doing this? Is this organized crime? Well, this is. They refer to it as organized crime, yeah. this particular group. They've arrested 33 people. They said there's going to be more and more to arrest. They're going to do it. They've identified uh, so many women. Some of the women have come forward. But once again, I mean, uh, how are we going to look after these women to make sure they get the counseling uh, that they, they need to recover from this? I mean, I, I would suggest that, and I'm not sure that they're doing it this, these days, but if all of these women sat and wrote, Uh, victim impact statements for what this human trafficking did to them just for this one guy here who's the head of it i think they'd be listening to a week's worth of testimony Hmm. from these women's minimum and uh it's it's horrific damage uh that's being done and you know even for the men out there who are getting involved in procuring uh you know prostitutes like this this is how you're getting them you're not getting a uh, pretty woman, where it's a, a single girl who says, "Oh, I'm just going to make some money on the side and do some stuff." That's a that's a that's a different thing than what this human trafficking is. What uh, well, uh, what's the difference between uh, prostitution charges and human trafficking charges? Uh, I haven't read that up before we come in, but it's basically prostitution is obviously uh, you're asking someone for sex and paying for it. We charge the men for that. We I'm try I didn't refresh myself on where we are with the prostitution charges. I mean, the Supreme Court. Uh, struck some of those down. So this gets into human trafficking where you're not using another human being uh, for uh, for purposes to make money. And I might add, uh, I believe that the uh, the Liberal government, in their latest bills, they're reducing the sentences for this crime. 
They have it for reducing the sentences for this crime. I think they should be increased. Ross McLean has been with us, crime specialist, security expert, RossMcLeanSecurity.com. To find out more, more than 300 charges have been laid in connection with a human trafficking and organized crime investigation. Ross, as always, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Bye now. To talk more about all of this, Barbara Goss is with us, CEO, Canadian Centre to End Human Trafficking, and is with us now. Barbara, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Oh, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. How significant is this arrest, is this case, or is this just a drop in the bucket? This is a very significant case, and make no mistake about it. When you're talking about this number of victims, this is very, very serious. We know from law enforcement and from frontline service providers, however, that this is a very underreported crime. And that while we do hear that this is being, um, there are incidents of human trafficking occurring right across the country, um, we are only now just scratching the surface on this horrific crime. What can you tell us about these victims? Where do they come from? How does this happen? Um, from what I know, and I, I probably saw the same um, press conference that you saw, and I only saw part of it this morning, but um, I do know the investigators at York Regional Police and Toronto Police and Montreal Police who have all been involved. There were four police services, I believe, in Ontario. There was one human trafficking um, coordination centre in Montreal involved in this. So first and foremost, I want to say um, um, that I commend the survivors who came forward on this because it's quite terrifying for any survivor to step out and report to law enforcement on this issue. Also, I'd like to commend the law enforcement, York Regional Police, Toronto, um, um, Montreal as well, and uh, the other law enforcement who worked on this. It takes a tremendous amount of resources on something like this. When you think of the number of survivors that they were looking at, I think they also arrested about 31 um, individuals who were involved in the yep. trafficking, fraud, and drug trafficking as well. So this is a large organized crime um, syndicate that um, began with basically two survivors who were from Quebec that uh, reached out to law enforcement, and rightly so. Um, so it, 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 traffickers tend to move their victims as well. From what I've heard from this case, um, the victims were moved from Quebec through Ontario as well. And we know here at the Canadian Centre of Human Trafficking, we're doing research on high-incidence corridors of human trafficking in Canada. We do know that the 401 is a significant corridor where traffickers will move victims hmm. um, to other communities where they can facilitate the exploitation or the sale of these individuals for their own profit. Um, and when you think about that, think about how evil that is. Um, many of these victims have faced extreme violence from these traffickers as well. Hmm. Um, and they're usually individuals who are very, very vulnerable. Um, traffickers know the script. They know how to reach out to vulnerable individuals. That's my next question. Um, who gets caught yeah. in this? Who gets caught in this web? Who are the victims? Well, it can be anyone. It can be your daughter. It can be your neighbor. It can be, you know, the 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 teenager who's going to high school. Um, anyone who is vulnerable um, and potentially could be connected via something as simple as social media. Traffickers know how to communicate with vulnerable individuals, and they know what these vulnerable individuals are looking for. In many cases, um, and law enforcement has been very clear with us on this, these traffickers will act as boyfriends. 
they're what they call boyfriend pimps. Um, and it's quite frightening because they may seem like they have the best interests of the victims at heart um, at first, mm-hmm. but they can, and in some cases, within a very short period of time, turn the tables and um, exploit the individuals for um, sexual purposes and, in some cases, labor purposes as well. Uh, what advice do you? Uh, another question uh, that I'll put ahead of this one: um, Are these always Canadians? Is this has this become an immigration issue? Are people being brought in from other countries? Well, I think many Canadians, and we we've heard from members of the public um, right across the country. Many Canadians have always thought that this is an international issue. That this is something that doesn't happen here, and if it does happen here. It happens because people who are living in other countries are brought into Canada and exploited. Right. And while, yes, that is certainly the case, that does happen, we know from incidents right across the country that the majority of victims are actually Canadian-born. And I think many people are shocked to hear of that. This is not only just an international problem, it happens all around the world. This is a Canadian problem. It is happening within our large urban centers and within our smaller rural areas. This is happening to um, youth right across the country, the majority of young people and young women as well. But we have heard that young boys are also victims. Advice to parents or those who may fall victim? Have the kitchen table conversations. Talk about human trafficking. Learn the signs of human trafficking. You can go to um, the Canadian Centre Den Human Trafficking.ca and you can learn the signs of human trafficking. Um, and you can also have the kitchen table conversations with your neighbours, with your friends, with your relatives, with your children. Have a look at their social media. I know it's really hard. Parents are often extremely busy. And it's very difficult to actually sit down with your teenager and talk to them about this, but we need to do it. We need to educate our young people on these predators that are out there trolling social media and luring, grooming, recruiting them um, for the purposes of exploiting them, either in um, sex industry or for labor purposes. It's very, very important. Barbara Goss has been with us, CEO, Canadian Centre to End Human Trafficking. More than 300 charges have been laid in connection with the human trafficking and organized crime investigation, uh, 31 arrested. Uh, Barbara, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Thank you very much. Barbara from the Canadian Centre to End Human Trafficking asked me to pass along this number to you and inform you that there is a Canadian human trafficking hotline. Believe it or not, there is a Canadian human uh, human trafficking hotline. It is completely confidential, and it is in operation 24-7, 24-7. So if uh, you are caught in this web or know someone that is, uh, the Canadian human trafficking hotline, it is 833-900-1010. That is 833-900-1010. Or just Google Canadian Human Trafficking Hotline. The Scott Thompson Show. Weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.